0: Right now, we have a crisis, a diabolical crisis. There are many aged care homes that are so understaffed because the staff have had to go off on furlough because they are either a close contact or they've got the infection themselves. So we've got less staff than usual in an already chronically understaffed sector. I used to wake up in the middle of the night and thinking, what's happening at work?
1: Are they all alright? To in the end, I just could not do it anymore.
2: It's inexcusable that after two years, they still can't get a system in place that makes sure that aged care residents are receiving timely and effective vaccinations. All
1: that money that was spent on that damn Royal Commission and all they did... Was changed medication and none of that money went to getting more staff.
3: After being caught without key numbers during an infamous performance at the parliamentary inquiry in August 2020 and a soft demotion from aged care minister to the minister for aged care services. You might have thought that Senator Richard Colbeck was finished grabbing headlines for failing to perform his duties during the COVID-19 pandemic.
2: The aged care and sport minister, Richard Colbeck, has been criticised by Labor for attending the Ashes cricket on the same day he declined to appear at the COVID-19 committee. Minister Colbeck cited urgent work fighting Omicron for his reason not to attend.
3: On the day Richard Colbeck chose the cricket over providing his parliamentary colleagues with updates on the management of the Omicron breakout, Around 40% of federally-run aged care facilities were in some form of lockdown, and staff were working tirelessly with some 7,000 residents infected, and it was only going to get worse from there. From Swivel Media, I'm Amanda Reedy, and this is Resolve, stories from a Stop Start Nation.
0: They suffered the worst fate during the 2020 outbreak. Now Australia's most vulnerable are once again facing a COVID crisis.
4: The number of aged care centres with a COVID outbreak has more than doubled. In recent days, the people in there want
3: to know, their loved ones want to know, and we can't get any answers. We had a booster program in place that was to get uh, everyone boosted by the end of January. That was not accelerated when we had Omicron come in. And so, coming into um, January, January 9th, a thousand aged care facilities had not been reached from the booster program.
2: The suggestion that defence forces can go in and, and, and operate in aged care. No, that's not the case. The defence forces are not a shadow workforce for the entire economy. economy or the health workforce
3: in this episode we look at Australia's aged care sector as it tries to ride the crest on the Omicron wave we start in the mid north coast region of New South Wales in a privately owned aged care home where resident Rosemary has lived since the start of the pandemic
4: I was living in a retirement village and I was living independently I had home care assistance but um, I wasn't able to get a home care package and so I was sort of having casual assistance at home. But I wasn't in very good health and I decided myself that I needed to come in here. My daughter organised it for me. And the week I came in here of course I was got a letter say I had the home care package. That's happened in so many cases I believe. But one thing I can tell you, my health improved very much since I've been here. I've been able to become independent. I look after myself pretty well.
3: Rosemary entered care in mid-March 2020, and two days later, her facility was placed in its first COVID lockdown. She spent a good part of the last two years in some form of restrictions. But while COVID wreaked havoc on aged care homes in previous outbreaks, including the tragic deaths of 655 elderly residents in Victoria in 2020, Rosemary's facility had not experienced a single case. So in mid-January 2022, it came as quite a shock when she and her fellow residents were woken after midnight by staff to take rapid antigen tests immediately. This huge man
4: all done up in PPE came into my room. I, I don't see the night staff normally, the night nursing and stuff. Came into my room turned the night on, and said, right, we've got to give you a test. And I mean, I hadn't met the man before. He, he, he doesn't know it frightening see the looming under the bed in the middle of the night. But I mean, I'm sort of having a witch about me. I knew realised what was happening. And he did the test and then he said, leave the light on. I'll be back in 15 minutes to check. So I just turned the light on and pulled the sheet over my head. Uh, Some of the residents were very upset. People were crying, you know. Well, naturally, they didn't know what was going on.
3: Thankfully for Rosemary, she returned a negative test result. But there were positive cases amongst both staff and residents. And her facility went into lockdown as a result. For some residents, particularly those with limited movement, it's been a distressing time.
4: Staff have told me that some of the residents are getting very depressed from being isolated in their rooms, which is very understandable, particularly if they don't have access to things like the internet and other distractions. You know, and I did notice them taking residents individually outside to sit outside and I think that must have been a huge relief for them because I know some of them have found it very hard just sitting in their rooms
2: all the time.
3: With staff shortages caused by infection and close contact rules, as well as restrictions insisting on residents eating their meals in their rooms, the remaining staff at Rosemary Centre have pulled together to ensure the residents are cared for and that has meant some staff taking on very different responsibilities.
4: The nursing staff have been concentrating on doing the essential nursing, and so the outdoor staff and the maintenance staff have been drafted in to fill in all the gaps, (laughs) and I must really say they've done a terrific job. Greg, the Chief Maintenance Engineer, he'll do anything. He's been working in the laundry, he's been delivering the laundry, he'll man the coffee machine, he's a wonderful barista, and the young gardener, he's been helping out delivering the meal, and he says he's really enjoying it, and he says it'll be a few more weeks yet, so I hate to think what the garden's going to be like outside, but anyway, it's sort of been like a case of all hands on deck, which I think shows a really wonderful sort of community spirit.
3: All going well, Rosemary's Aged Care Home will be out of lockdown by the time this episode is released. And all signs point to the staff and her facility continuing to pull together to ensure that she and the other residents receive the care they need. But according to Dr Sarah Russell, Rosemary's experience makes her one of the more fortunate in the aged care sector.
0: I am a public health researcher who had a mother in an aged care home and I stopped working as much as I usually work so I could visit her most days in the aged care home. It was a very good aged care home. I was very happy for the most part with it. But with my lens as a public health researcher, I started to see systemic problems in the sector. And every morning I would walk my dog and I would talk into my phone a letter to The Age newspaper in Melbourne. And they published a lot of my letters. And after my mother died, I actually had an obituary in The Age And soon after that, the opinion editor contacted me and commented on the number of letters I'd written and asked if I would be interested in writing an opinion piece for The Age on aged care, which I did. And they called the opinion piece The Aged Care Gravy Train. And as a result, that catapulted me into an advocacy space. And fast forward now six years and I just can't stop calling out the systemic problems i'm aware that there are good aged care homes but i am also aware that there are some dreadful aged care homes and we need to call out the systemic problems so we have no terrible aged care homes in my view we need to treat older people with respect and dignity and we do that by fixing and reforming the aged care sector
3: When it comes to the Omicron wave, one of Sarah's biggest concerns is the obvious lack of preparation for the impact the Let It Rip strategy would have on the aged care system.
0: The Omicron wave has been terribly interesting because the government decided to let it rip without putting in place any of the protections required to safeguard people who live in an aged care home. There were two basic things that were required. One was to make sure all the residents in aged care homes were boosted, had the booster shot. Now, that didn't happen, and that should have happened before Christmas. You hear the government saying, oh, it's on schedule and it'll be done by the end of January. No, that's not good enough. The Omicron wave has been hitting us since before Christmas, and we needed to have every resident who agreed to have
3: a booster shot have a booster shot. With the lockdowns and staff shortages happening across the sector, residents are isolated and families are fearful.
0: The families are devastated because they don't believe that their loved one is going to die of Omicron. They believe their loved one might die of neglect and they are devastated because they used to go in regularly to help with meals, to help make sure their loved one drank an adequate amount of fluid, to walk them to the toilet, to give them social stimulation. And they have been locked out of aged care homes. I think this was the most appalling decision that providers made two years ago, and that was to lock families out. It has caused residents to be depressed and lonely, socially isolated. They don't understand what's going on, some people with cognitive failure, and the worst case is, in some cases, and quite more often than we have been told, residents have been confined to their rooms. Can you imagine spending day after day confined to a room without any family to support you, any familiar face? I mean, the as I say, the staff are doing their best, but they're not miracle workers, so. Uh, Yes, some of the stories I'm hearing are totally heartbreaking.
3: Sarah also argues that the situation that Rosemary's aged care home found itself in was predictable and preventable.
0: The thing that is so clear in the data around the Omicron is that the virus is being brought into the aged care home by staff. Now, why haven't staff been having rapid antigen tests before they come to work? I've been writing about rapid antigen tests since December 2020, saying they should be used in aged care to prevent staff from bringing in either... At that time, it was the different types of the strain of the virus. But nonetheless, it absolutely should have been done before Omicron, before they let it rip. And this is on the heads of the Aged Care Minister, Greg Hunt, and the Minister for aged care services, Richard Colbeck, They have failed to protect older people living in aged care homes.
3: While Sarah has become a well-known figure in the analysis of the aged care crisis, she isn't alone in her criticism of the way the sector is being managed. Here's Michael Waits, the manager of the public health organising team at the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association.
2: can't be critical enough of the federal government's inaction in aged care and it is been laid bare by Omicron. One of the recommendations was the requirement to have an infection control point of contact and to make sure those processes were clear. We're hearing from members over the last few weeks that actually they, they don't have one or they don't know who that is. We know that across the aged care sector, there are very few nurses or carers who have been FIT tested for the P2N95 masks. So that means they're becoming infected, they're becoming sick, it means they're transmitting from one room to the next. The government has not rolled out fit testing and the provision of P2N95 masks. We know that they don't have access to the rapid antigen tests. And so the capacity to test whether someone's COVID positive in an aged care facility is exactly the same as it is out there for the general community, you're waiting days for a result which means by then the the infection has just travelled. And the other glaring deficiencies there is that not enough aged care residents have received their booster shots. Now, the, the federal government, their rollout of vaccines for the first round of COVID, their rollout of vaccines for Delta, and now still waiting for the boosters. It's inexcusable that after two years, they still can't get a system in place that makes sure that aged care residents are receiving timely and effective vaccinations. And the roll-up of all of this is that the aged care facilities are suffering exactly the same way as the public health system here is in New South Wales, in that they are short-staffed, they are losing staff to furlough because of close contacts, they are losing staff to sick leave, which means your infection control processes break down, which means it's just a nasty, nasty cycle.
3: Michael also outlined some of the risks that are created when aged care facilities are understaffed. When you've got staff
2: shortages in aged care, a whole bunch of things happen. Maybe someone misses out on their shower for the day, and maybe that's not huge. But what if they're missing out on their shower for a couple of days? You know, that's skin integrity, that's personal hygiene. It's just about feeling comfortable in your own skin. It's about the capacity to make sure you've got time to sit down and feed someone and assist them with their meal. It's about having time to sit down and hold someone's hand and have a conversation with them so that they've got some interaction in their life. The impacts can be as simple as that, though those things have massive implications.
3: One person who has seen the development of the issues facing the aged care sector at ground level is Sharon, a nurse who's spent nearly 50 years working with the elderly. After being told she was too short to join the police force, She entered nursing school and soon found herself working in an aged care home.
1: I had no idea what I was in for when I first started. And it was an absolute eye-opener to be nursing the elderly and all the things that it entails to nurse the elderly. Because really you're nursing children again because we actually revert back to our childhood in a lot of ways. So it was confronting at times quite confronting at times but you just grow to absolutely love them and they become family or you become family to them too because a lot of the time they don't even see family from one year to the next so you become their family and they're just so sweet and they've got so many stories to tell you
3: When Sharon reflects on the early years of her career, she remembers having more time to spend on patient care compared to today's more process and documentation focused approach.
1: When I was thinking about it, we probably worked harder back then because we took on so much more. Like we used to roll the bandages and make the cotton buds and the cotton balls, everything that had to go in the autoclave to be sterilized. We used to do all that. We used to every lunchtime go around and grab everybody's teeth and clean everybody's teeth and we used to do all the pans, do the pan room, clean all the pans, put them through the machine and dry them and put them away. But we had a good amount of staff. People might disagree and think, oh, we've always been understaffed and we probably have always been understaffed in some way, but there was always that caring there we did like do their hair properly and paint their fingernails and do all that sort of thing now like so under the pump to do the work that you're given but then it's also all the paperwork yes we had paperwork back then but we also had ward clerks and the ward clerks used to do a lot of the paperwork and the care plans The forms that we fill in now for care plans, for wounds, for everything, have all become so complicated in a lot of ways, and it's simply so that it can justify what you're doing, why you're there. I mean, yes, you need to have care plans and things for what their likes and dislikes are, but all the other things that they go into, those people have worked all their lives and they've supported this country i don't know why we have to justify why they need care
3: having observed the changes brought on by the privatization of the sector sharon feels the current demands on those working in aged care don't take into account the complexity of the needs of residents
1: and the sirens and everything else in aged care. But when people go into hospital, they usually go in for like surgery or they go in for chemotherapy or something like that. In aged care, you can get a person that's got four or five different things going on. They could have Parkinson's, then they could have diabetes. So you've got all that happening in one person, but you've got a whole place that's got 60 residents in it that don't come in with just one thing. They come in with lots of different things going on in their bodies and their brain.
3: And this mounting pressure ultimately led to Sharon's decision to leave her nearly 50-year career caring for the elderly.
1: One place I had to leave because I was so, so stressed that I was going home and I was worrying about what was happening at work. And I used to wake up in the middle of the night and thinking, what's happening at work? Are they all all right? To in the end, I just could not do it anymore. And I went down and I packed small goods for three or four months. I just needed that breathing space to try and get rid of some of the stress.
3: The Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety was established in late 2018 and handed down its findings early in the second year of the pandemic. Among its many recommendations was the need for a greatly improved systemic approach to infection control, obviously a key factor in preventing the spread of disease. But as Dr Sarah Russell points out, this wasn't the first time the issue had been raised.
0: Infection control was pointed out in a 2012 coroner's report. The recommendation was that every aged care home should have an infection control officer. That was after a very sad death 10 years ago. So, We've known about the need for infection control for a very long time. Now, during the Victorian outbreak, the Royal Commission had a special three-day hearing specifically directed to the pandemic, and they recommended that every aged care home should have an infection control officer, which is exactly the same as what the coroner did 10 years earlier. Nonetheless, on this occasion, the government accepted the recommendation. The good aged care homes not only appointed a infection control officer, that person was given good training and upskilled to take on that role. Other aged care homes, which I call the unscrupulous aged care homes, they merely appointed someone, gave them a take-home, I don't know, few-hour online training, and said, "You are now the infection control officer." So they ticked the box, but it was in not the spirit of which they should have done it. We really need well-trained infection control officers, particularly during a global pandemic.
3: For Sarah, there's no mincing words when it comes to her assessment of the current state of the aged care sector in Australia.
0: We are currently facing one of the biggest crises in aged care. It's been in crisis for a long time uh, and chronically understaffed and there have been lots of issues in, in aged care. But right now, We have a crisis, a diabolical crisis. There are many aged care homes that are so understaffed because the staff have had to go off on furlough because they are either a close contact or they've got the infection themselves. So we've got less staff than usual in an already chronically understaffed sector.
3: So where do we go from here? We asked Michael Waits for his recommendations.
2: I think the Morrison government needs to roll out the booster shots, resource it, fund it, and get the rapid antigen tests out to all of the aged care facilities in bulk as quickly as possible, and that needs to be yesterday. The other thing they need to do is ensure that every healthcare worker in an aged care facility has access to a fit-tested P2 N95 mask. Now, that's the responsibility of the employers, but they need federal assistance to do it because it is a rapid change that is now required, although we would argue was required 18 months ago. It's high time workers in that industry had the same level of protections afforded to them that occur in the public health system. Now, the federal government is solely responsible for aged care. They shift that responsibility to private employers They shift that responsibility by giving them the money to run the system, but at the end of the day, it is the federal government's responsibility to run aged care in this country. They need to step up, be present and act.
3: Sarah believes it goes beyond current practice to the legislation and policies that govern the aged care sector.
0: The first thing the government needs to do is to rewrite the Aged Care Act. The Aged Care Act was written in 1997 by the John Howard government and it was written for the providers. Primarily it was written to bring private capital into the aged care sector. It needs to be rewritten from a human rights perspective. We need to actually put the residents and the recipients of home care packages front and center in our Aged Care Act. So that's the first thing that needs to be done. That, With a new Aged Care Act, many of the things that I'm going to suggest will just flow from that. But some of the things and this has been talked about now for 20 years in aged care is the workforce. The workforce needs to be addressed. This is not an urgent crisis, the workforce. This is a long-standing crisis of which we've had inquiries, reviews. We've even had the aged care workforce task force. We've had so many things that have just kicked the can down the road. We actually need to urgently address workforce issues in aged care.
3: Sharon's suggestions are a little more targeted.
1: I'd like to see somebody, ScoMo or Daniel, do a week or a fortnight following nurses around in an aged care facility. That's what I'd really like to see. And when I say follow us around, means follow us around and get your hands dirty the same as what we do and take note of what we do. And how much a day can change in two seconds by somebody having a fall or somebody being sick or somebody just all of a sudden have a seizure in the dining room or something. Look at what we do. Don't just disregard that we're aged care nurses so we don't amount to anything. All that money that was spent on that damn Royal Commission and all they did was change medication and none of that money went to getting more staff.
3: She may be tired, she may be getting older, but in the face of the current crisis, Sharon has decided to return to aged care.
1: Doing what I used to do. I love the elderly. I don't like the politics. I don't like the paperwork. But I love doing the caring. I truly love doing the caring. And I'll always love it, I think. I don't think I'll ever, ever get sick of it. I really don't think I will ever get sick of it. My husband tells me I need, to, I need to stop. He thinks I should retire. I'll be 70 in October this year. I feel that I could work for another two years in aged care. I just love it. I love it. It's just It just gets in your blood and you just do because you love it, because you love it so much. Well, I know I do.
3: If you'd like to learn more on this topic or get support, Dr. Sarah Russell has founded Aged Care Matters, which includes a website of resources at agedcarematters.com.au and an Aged Care Matters Facebook group for residents, their families, healthcare workers and concerned citizens. Resolve is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by me, Amanda Reedy, and Lauren Fitzgerald. Our executive producer is Scotty Allen, who also wrote this episode. Mixing and sound design for this episode was done by Rob Clark. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find Swivel Media on your social platforms or email us at resolve@swivelmedia.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a positive rating and review to help others find our show.